90% of sports fans cannot name more than five of their favorite team sponsors. And that's a huge problem when you consider $4.25 billion is spent by brands on sponsorship in just the big four sports here in North America alone. It's a huge problem. And, you know, these teams have like hundreds of sponsors at the major league level. So if you are not able to even recall who a few of them are, like how can the team expect you to engage with them outside the venue? And that's one of the big problems that we're solving with our platform. Welcome to the Midland Money Mindset. This is a podcast that's all about getting your mind right when it comes to all things money. In every episode, we go deep with engaging guests who provide tangible takeaways and a whole lot of joy along the way. I hope you enjoy these conversations as much as I enjoyed having them. Let's dive into today's show. I'm Larry Sprung, your host for the Midland Money Mindset and founder and wealth advisor of Midland Financial. Today's guest is Chris McCarthy, co-founder and COO of Fan Saves. Chris McCarthy played seven years of professional hockey, winning two championships before transitioning into the front office. While serving as the director of sales for two minor professional hockey teams back in 2017, Chris and his now co-founder, Shannon Ferguson, came across a pain point while selling sponsorships that would lead to the creation of their sports tech startup, Fan Saves. Chris and Fan Saves works with teams and organizations to help increase sponsorship sales and fan engagement through their award-winning digital platform. Fan Saves allows teams to digitally activate their fans through discounts and deals provided by team sponsors while making the fan data and analytics available to both the teams and the sponsors, something that traditional sponsorship inventory and paper coupons just cannot provide. Chris is responsible for leading the sales team, strategy, and business development for the company, and his dedication, leadership skills, and ability to build relationships have been an integral part of propelling fan saves forward. Chris is also a podcast host of a show called Living the Startup, and they are sponsored by Staples Canada. He has recorded over 75 episodes sharing stories from startup founders all over the world with inspiring stories building great companies. Chris also serves his community as a board member of the United Way and is always eager to give back. Listen in for some great takeaways about Chris's time as a professional hockey player and how he and Fan Saves are working to approve sponsorship and fan engagement, not only for the sport of hockey, but all sports everywhere. Hello, everybody. Larry Sprung here, and I have the pleasure of being with Chris McCarthy, co-founder and COO of Fan Saves. And everybody here knows I love talking about hockey, and hopefully that's what we're going to be talking a lot about today. So welcome to the show today, Chris. Happy to be here. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. So listen, I know your background. I know where you came from. Can you just give our listeners a little bit of who you are, where you came from, and more importantly than everything is where does your love of hockey come from? Because that definitely comes through in everything you do for sure. Yeah, definitely. My love for hockey, I think, comes back to the Canadian culture growing up in Canada my whole life, being born on in PEI in the Maritimes, but moved to Ottawa when I was younger and became an avid Sens fan with my dad and some of my fondest memories growing up going to Sens games and Played my minor hockey in Ottawa, Canada. And then in my draft year, I had the unfortunate event where I actually got 
hit from behind and I ended up tearing my ACL, had to have like full reconstructive surgery. And this is my draft year to the OHL is my dream to play in the NHL as most kids growing up. And that kind of shattered that, that dream for me. But I always, I wanted to continue on. I wanted to go to school. I ended up playing the next season, came back blew my knee out again. So I missed the rest of the whole season. At that point, I shifted my focus from playing in the big leagues to going to school. And I was fortunate enough to play a year in prep school. I have a weird kind of career path, but ended up going to community college first. And then actually went from there to prep school, which was like a grade 13. And then went back to Ottawa, played my last year of junior as an overager, and then got signed to my first pro contract in a new league called the Federal Hockey League. So single A pro and that kind of jump-started my professional hockey career. I was fortunate enough to play seven years slugging it out in the minors, but it led me to transitioning into the front office after my, my university degree, in which I did simultaneously. And then from there, I found a pain point with my co-founder, who was at the time one of my colleagues. And together, we took that pain point and we created the solution for it, which is now our business fancies, which I, we co-founded together. That's a long story, but like lots of things along the way that happened. Yeah, I'll tell you, there's no hockey path that takes a traditional path. That's a new one for me. So there's all different paths to get there. It doesn't matter how you get there. So I got to ask you, Federal League, was that where the Danbury Trashers were a part of or no? So I believe it was the IHL that the Trashers were in. I actually played years later the Danbury Whalers put a team in the FHL and, and they played out of that building. We'd go to play games there and a lot of fans would still be wearing like Trashers gear and stuff like that. We were very aware but the tables had turned because my first couple of years in the league were played up in Aquasasne, a native reserve up here um, in between the States and Canada. And so we had players come play for our team that had played in the NHL, guys like Pierre Dagenet. And then we had a bunch of guys that came from the, the LNAH, the, like, a really tough league in Quebec. So on our team, we had like four or five like legitimate heavyweights and we'd go team to team. We just beat the piss out of people and win games. We ended up winning the championship. But those early years in the Federal Hockey League were tough hockey, like some of the toughest hockey I've ever seen. And the league got a reputation for that. But since then, it's really become much more skilled. They send a lot of players up to the higher levels. and It's more of a transitional league for players. So it's come a long way, but uh, some tough times for sure. Listen, for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about in terms of the Danbury Trashers, I suggest you check out Netflix, check out that entry, that story. If you're a hockey fan, if you're a sports fan, it's quite the story. I think you'll enjoy it. I know I did when I found out about it. It was pretty interesting. So I have to ask you, Chris, as a hockey fan, what's your favorite story? I always like hearing stories from guys who played at the higher levels. What's your favorite hockey story from your playing days? Wow. That's a tough one. You're hitting me with the hard questions early. Wow. There are so many of them, right? <laughs> I don't know how I can just pick one. We were playing a game at home and during the intermission, they had one of those shoot from the opposite blue line to, to get the puck through the hole, the little hole that's like in the plywood in front of the net. Right. That could barely fit the puck. It never happens. <laughs> never see it. I came very close once, Chris, at Madison Square Garden, center ice. I missed by maybe a, an eighth of an inch. The guy who set me up with the shot, he came running over and was about to tackle me because he thought I won the car, and then it just hit the board at the last possible second. He thought it was in. And a client of mine happened to be in the stands and took a picture of it on the big screen of how close it was. It was crazy. But I'll let you finish your story. Oh, sounds like a traumatic moment. <laughs> yeah, it was. So they choose this lady randomly out of the crowd, and she's 75 years old. So you can watch the YouTube video. It's got over 3 million hits on YouTube. And this older lady gets ushered out, and then they're, like, getting ready. And she's, like, does a little toe drag of the pu It's so ridiculous. And then she just, like, slaps at it. 
and it's on a line. It goes straight from the far blue line, straight in without even fluttering right into the hole. And there's a matter of half an inch on each side. And the announcer goes crazy. Oh my God. And then all, we all came out onto the ice. We took pictures with her. That's a one in a million thing. Like, I don't know if I'll ever see that ever again, but that was a really crazy moment that happened, I guess, on the ice, but not directly involved with my career. But if I had to pick a moment, it's all those moments spent on the bus with the guys after a hard fought series, playing cards and having a couple of beers, winding down on a 13 hour bus trip home where that I had to go to school in the morning. I miss that camaraderie. I think Cody Bass said something similar in one of your previous episodes. It's something that's really hard to replace. It is. So what team were you playing for when that young lady uh, hit the, uh, for, for the win? Yeah, the team was called the Aquasasne Warriors, the first ever professional hockey team to win a championship on a native reserve. That's the cool thing. I played there a couple of years. The team ended up folding and then I, I went to another team about an hour away from my school and played there for a few years and was fortunate enough in my career to win a couple championships and then one as a member of the front office as well. So that's something I'm really proud of. A lot of guys play their whole career. And don't win anything. So at least I was able to fulfill like one of those childhood dreams of winning a professional hockey championship. Awesome. And we'll have to try to find that YouTube video and link it in the show notes so we could share it with everybody and add to the the three million hits. So did I hear this right? That while you were playing for Watertown, I believe you ended up as the GM of the team while you were actively playing for them. Yeah, this is such a unique story. I love to tell it. I was in my fourth year pro. I was playing in Watertown. I was going to school at SUNY Potsdam an hour away at the same time. And I was the captain of the team. We had a really young team and halfway through the year the coach and general manager he got fired and i was pretty close with the owner and one day i remember he called me into one of the local sponsors it was a restaurant we sat down and he told me that he wanted me to take over the team as general manager so managing all the staff volunteers game day operations marketing tickets and everything i was like all over this opportunity it was one of those opportunities for me as someone that had goals of working in the front office and using my business degree so i instantly agreed and one of the first things i did was hire a coach who was also one of our players who became like our player coach he had played in the echl for years and that i also gave my captaincy away to another player really funny story Later on that season, we went down to Winston-Salem, Carolina for a neutral site game and they wanted us to put on a good show, right? Because they wanted to put a team here in a year to come. So we get into the building, 5,000 people packed this building and it was cool. Like we get out there and about like 10 minutes into the game, fight breaks out. So my coach, who's also the player, gets into a fight with one of their players. One of the players on their team, who I know really well from the league, grabs me. So we get into a fight and then I look over and my captain's in a fight with their captain. So you've got the general manager, you've got the coach, and you've got the captain all involved in a line brawl at the same time. I ended up breaking my nose in that fight. My coach got fired. He ended up taking off his gear, coming back onto the bench. It was a crazy experience overall, but that's something I'll never forget. Everyone watched the movie Happy Gilmore, and he's, he's got his like his record, his stat or whatever. So I always say that's my Happy Gilmore story. Well, this sounds more <laughs> like Reg Dunlop and Slapshot to me. <laughs> it was so Reggie Dunlop. And back in those days, in the early days of the league, it just they were just trying to like jumpstart the league and gain more credibility. And since then, the league has become very credible. And a lot of really good players have come through. But back in those early years, some of those games were a bit of a free-for-all sometimes. It was crazy. That's amazing. Amazing story. So listen, I want to shift gears for a minute. I want to talk about fan saves, right? So maybe you could share with us a little bit about what fan saves is and how it came to be. 
Yeah, fan saves really wouldn't have come to be without the Federal Hockey League. Years later, I, I transitioned into the front office while playing. So I was working as a sales and marketing director while playing. And I got really good experience in that. So in my last year pro, I was playing in Cornwall. And I broke my finger in a fight behind the net. And I was going to miss 11 weeks because I had to have pins put in my finger. So I went to the owner of the team and I said, look, like I can really help out on the sales and marketing side. I have experience. So he made me the sales and marketing director. And that's when I met Shannon, who's now my co-founder. She was doing some of the marketing for the team. And together, we just took over all the sales and marketing and revamped everything and had to really get into the season. So in the summertime, we were out selling sponsorship and Businesses kept telling us that they didn't just want a wall sign or a scoreboard ad. They really wanted something that was going to digitally activate our fans and allow them to collect customer analytics. And we didn't have anything like that. We missed out on a lot of deals and we left a lot of deals on the table. And so looking elsewhere in the industry to see what other teams were doing, we found a lot of teams are still using like paper coupons as the medium between the fan and the sponsor. And with paper coupons, there's all kinds of problems associated, but mostly they don't track data. So we said there's got to be a better way here to activate our fans and give our partners what they want. Elsewhere in the industry, there was nothing that could satisfy that. So we set out on this journey to create a platform that would solve this problem. And we created Fansaves as a solution. So Fansaves is a digital platform that offers fans discounts and deals from the sponsors of their favorite teams. So think of it as Instagram meets Groupon, but for sports teams. Or teams could think of it as their own digital coupon book made up of their partners. Basically, everything's customized for the given team. They send their fans there. Their sponsors are highlighted there. And then everybody benefits, right? The team benefits because they get the sponsorship dollars. The sponsors benefit because they get eyeballs. And then they can track as far as who's interested in what and when they're going and where they're going to those specific vendors or sponsors. So 100% you nailed it. Like teams are able to collect data these days in 2022 from so many different touch points, right? Concessions, merchandise, ticketing, but it's really hard to understand how fans are engaging with team partners outside of the venue. So Fansaves gives teams a way to understand how these deals are performing and collect that fan data. And for the sponsors, this was back in 2017, brands were looking for data to be able to make more informed marketing decisions. Can you imagine where we're going to be in five years from now? Data is super important for these brands to make more informed marketing decisions. And then for the fans to be able to have a way to actually know who the sponsors are, their favorite team, and a direct way to support them. 90% of sports fans cannot name more than five of their favorite team sponsors. And that's a huge problem when you consider $4.25 billion is spent by brands on sponsorship in just the big four sports here in North America alone. It's a huge problem. Like you yourself, like who's your favorite professional sports team? I could share that with you. As you're telling that story and giving that narrative, I'm thinking because I'm a season ticket holder for the New York Rangers, okay? And I literally got an email probably within the last month from the Rangers asking me to fill out a survey and they're going to give me like an entry into winning some kind of memorabilia. And I'm a diehard Ranger fan, right? Go probably 10, 15 games a year. And it was all about the sponsors, it was all about who's the sponsor, the beverage, the airline, the this. And I will tell you this. I probably did an awful job. I probably named companies that were not sponsors because to your point, I don't really pay attention to that. The only sponsor I can name 
verbatim that I know for a fact is Chase. And the only reason I know it's Chase is because the Rangers give me a benefit if I pay my season subscription with a Chase credit card. There's a benefit for that. Outside of that, I really couldn't tell you who the other partners are. I have an idea of some of them, but I definitely couldn't name a vast majority of them. So I'm probably your, your great case study, right? That's what you're solving, correct? You fall right in that 90% of people. And, you know, these teams have like hundreds of sponsors at the major league level. So if you are not able to even recall who a few of them are, like, how can the team expect you to engage with them outside the venue? And that's one of the big problems that we're solving with our platform. So how do you measure the engagement for the sponsorship? What's the metric that you're looking for or are they looking for, I should say? Yeah. So when a fan redeems a deal, we're able to track general demographics in our backend dashboard for both the individual sponsor and for the team to oversee all of their sponsors. Like there's no selling of the data or anything. It's just a tool for these sponsors and the teams to have a better understanding of like how their fans are engaging with their partners outside of the venue and being able to easily in real time log into their dashboard and be able to see those metrics. It's something that's not available from paper coupons, traditional sponsorship assets, the ads you see all around the boards or on the court, like during games. No one really thinks about that until you're put on the spot and then you're like, oh, wow, actually, who that who are they? So, yeah, I would imagine, too, if you have the data and the data is there to support it, it can give this team leverage in terms of saying, hey, this is the amount of traffic we're driving. Hey, your sponsorship last year was great, but we want to up that and increase that because of the amount of traffic we're driving to you. I would go into renewal meetings at the end of the year to talk to sponsors and I'd be able to pull like social media metrics and number of eyeballs from in venue during like our attendance throughout the season. But it was really hard for me to justify return on investments for these brands because I didn't have that data that could show that we were actually driving fans into their establishment or their business. It was really difficult to come up with that information. The bigger leagues have like tools where they can easily get those metrics from social media or the broadcast, like eyeballs and stuff like that. But they're still missing a really key component, which is like that conversion, the point of conversion, not just ROI, but at the point of conversion, proving that fan was engaging with that partner. I would imagine technology, like you alluded to earlier, right? 2017, people were relying on these metrics. God knows where we're going to be five years from now, even being five years since 2017. But I'm sure the technology component of this can be challenging. How do you handle the innovation around that? Yeah, so my co-founder, Shannon, and I, we were non-technical co-founders when like we started this business. Like She has experience in websites and stuff like that, but we didn't even know like how, where to start to build an app. And we figured it out. We failed forward. So just literally before this call, we just had a call with our developer where we were going over like a major feature for our first NHL team, which we'll be announcing next week on the platform. And we're doing something a little bit different, a feature that they've requested that we've never done before. Just coming up with the idea, listening to your customers, first of all, and then like understanding how it could work, getting together with your dev team or developer, and then just kind of working out the kinks, going back to the team and seeing if that's what they want. And then if they're good with that, then we move forward with the feature. So right now at this point, we're trying not to add a whole lot of features. We're trying to just roll with what we have and it provides a lot of value, but you really have to listen to your customers and entrepreneurship and be able to adapt to their needs and what they really need. Yeah, I agree. And by the time you're listening to this, to those of you listening, they will have announced that partnership already. So make sure you check out Fan Saves and who they're partnered with in the NHL. It's going to be exciting. One of the things I've been hearing a lot about that's going to implement change in the sports field is going to be NFTs. Have you put any thought into that and how that might change this whole experience? With all the things talked about NFTs and the blockchain, I, I think that 
sports and ticketing is probably an unbelievably great use of like the NFT market. Do you foresee that having an impact on your business and where you go over the next five to 10 years? Yes and no. I'll say that I just bought my first NFT like a few weeks ago. It was actually a Rod Gilbert NFT, longtime Rangers legend. My first NFT was the Henrik Lundqvist on Henrik Lundqvist retirement night. So nice. <laughs> yeah. Shout out Fanapoli. But yeah, you know what? There's so many. There's been just been a boom in NFT companies. And I think the industry is getting a little bit diluted. I think like someone as someone that grew up like with trading cards and collecting hockey cards, I think it's a really cool concept. And it is evidenced by Top Shot with the NBA. It's obviously been super received. And I think it's a really cool medium. And it's another revenue stream for teams to make money. Where I shy away from it is the creators that are creating just images and then minting them as an NFT. Like, to me, it's if it's like a really cool, like unique thing, like the one I bought was, it supported a charity and it was like from a major player from the team that is a legend and I was supporting a friend. Like I had my reasons for buying it, but just if it was like a regular image that someone had just minted, like not the board apes, like you see like examples like that, that really don't do it for me. But the blockchain is so early. I think like web three is going to be massive and there's so much opportunity. I think we're really just in the beginning stages of it. Yeah, I agree with you. And by the way, I had the opportunity probably about two or three years ago now, I played in a Ranger alumni game, and the late, great Roger Bear was our coach. He was an unbelievable storyteller, great stories, and knew how to tell the stories for sure. Just a great hockey individual. I read about your experience at Pitch Fest. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about what that was about? Yeah, this is something that my co-founder and I talk a lot about, actually, is like how we grew our brand through pitching. So when we started our company, like we literally had nickels to rub together. Like we didn't have a safety net or anything. We've been really scrappy to be able to grow the business. Yeah, so pitching has been a big part of our growth strategy today. Pitching allowed us to promote our brand, create content, get in front of people and just tell our story. Early on, we won a couple pitch fests. We actually won one that we won a $100,000 convertible note. My co-founder, Shannon, has pitched on stages in front of thousands of people. So it's given us a really cool opportunity. We won a regional pitch fest. We got to represent Canada and Berlin, Germany at a global pitch fest. There's sports teams now that are starting their own like pitch fest. Like we pitched at the Florida Panthers magical stick hockey competition, the Arizona Coyotes Venture Challenge. So for founders out there, there's all these opportunities in your industry, your space to go pitch your product. And some of the biggest benefits to come out of it have been clients. We've gotten like awesome credibility. We've gotten money. We've gotten advisors, referrals. If you don't put yourself out there, no one's going to know about you. So a lot of these pitch competitions don't cost anything to apply. And a lot of people just don't put themselves out there. They don't fill out that application. I always say I apply. I talk about it on LinkedIn all the time. Show up and you never know what can come of it. And that's been a really big growth strategy that's helped build our brand to date. So besides the apply, apply tip, are there any other tips that you could share with other founders that if they're taking part in a pitch fest, are there any tips that you could supply to them that, hey, these are a couple of things that if you get into that pitch fest, these are must do's for you if you want to be successful? Yeah, the first thing that I would say is don't overthink it. Like when we first started pitching, as the pitches, word for word, like the whole drive to the pitch, we're rehearsing and like word for word. Our first pitch got up on stage. We were the last company to pitch. So I, in my head, I'm going through our pitch. I'm listening to everyone else's. Then we get on stage. The guy before us had wrapped the mic around the stand. So we had to undo it. And then by the time it was time to pitch, my co-founder Shannon started her part. 
that it got to my part and I just totally blank, could not think of my lines. And it felt like an eternity, but it was probably more like 10 seconds. And then Shannon gave me a cue and it just all came back to me. But what I would say is you're never going to be perfect. Understand your business and be able to speak to the slides as opposed to trying to memorize everything and get everything perfect. That was the biggest thing for me. And then the second tip I would give is during the application process, like a lot of startup competitions and applications are very similar. They ask the same types of questions. So what we did early on is we started just a running document and we would pull these questions from all these applications and then put our answers in like a Word document to just keep track. And so every future application that we did, we were able to just pull from that and just update it a little bit for the application that we were applying to. Systematized process. It makes it a lot easier and then it's a lot less burdensome when you want to apply for the second, third, fifth, whatever number makes it a hell of a lot easier. That's for sure. So I think those are great tips. Things you mentioned earlier, and I want to go back to that for a second and I keyed in on it myself because I'm in agreement with you and alignment is you use the term fail forward, right? And we talk about a lot on this show that there really isn't any kind of thing that you ever fail at as long as there's a learning experience from it. If you walk away with something that makes you better, makes you smarter, makes you more nimble, then it's not a failure. What have your quote unquote failures taught you? Startup life is such a roller coaster. There's so many wins, there's so many losses and really have to learn from those losses. Like I'll give the example of our development to date, right? We started this company with zero experience in, in development or coding. Our first developer really didn't give us what we wanted. We learned from that. Then we went to a developer who was part of a major agency up here in Canada. They had major clients, big banks that you'd recognize. So we were like a really small fish to them. And we didn't really get the attention that we needed. We didn't get the product that we had worked towards. The communication, like there was no transparency and they didn't treat Shannon very well. As a woman CEO, like there was definitely some borderline discrimination there. So once we got like through that, we got eventually what we had worked for, we tried to bring development in-house. And that was a whole like journey and a lesson learned. So ended up finding this like local agency in Ottawa here that we outsourced our development to. We've been here with them for now over two and a half, three years. And it's everything that we could have asked for. So like looking back on the process, like we failed forward three different times before finding the developer, which is an important part of the company as a tech company to have good tech and development support. Yeah, just learning lessons along the way is super important for sure. Yeah, that's great stuff. So now I got to go on the personal route just for a second here, because as someone who does it myself, I have to ask, what is it like working with your significant other? Yes. Short answer is it's awesome. Long answer is she's my best friend. We're all in on this journey together. We've really dedicated these last five years to building this company and we're so proud of where we got it, but we have such a big vision. There's so much more to go. Sometimes it can be really hard to separate the business from the relationship and startup life. Like the business never really turns off. There's no nine to five. That's just not a thing. Sometimes we'll go to bed talking about the business. Oh, we got payroll coming up. Or did you send that email? Did you talk to that person? And then when we wake up in the morning, I can't wait to tell her like the juicy email I got or whatever. But one of the best things about being co-founders is we get to travel so much for business. We get invited to a lot of opportunities. So every one of these places that we get to go to, whether it's Memphis, Tampa Bay, San Diego, Germany, we get to experience all of this together. And definitely while we're there to do business, but we get to smell the roses along the way and can't imagine this journey with anyone else. So it's been a great ride so far. 
Listen, I'm in the same boat. My my wife, Denise, is our marketing director, so she handles all of the marketing for the firm. She's in our office. And it was great when my kids were young, and many times we were in different states, her and I, because they were playing hockey at, in different parts of the country, and we weren't together. But during the week, we were at work together. So worst case scenario, if we didn't get to spend the weekend together, we at least saw each other and got that time during the week as well. But it does afford you a lot of benefits. There are some challenges challenges there, but I agree with you. Chris, it's been a pleasure having you on our show. And we end every show by asking each of our guests the same question, because this is the Midland Money Mindset. And we want to know, what did you do today? Because we're all about joy here. What did you do today that brought you joy and put you in the right mindset for success? Love this question. We live out in the country just outside of Ottawa and our house backs onto what's called the Raisin River. So in the wintertime, it's childhood dream. I snowblow it all, skate on it every morning. It's my happy place. I can just go out and skate for half an hour before work. But in the summertime, we got a cheap bow rider boat. It's got a platform on the front with the seat. And my, our neighbor is the same age as us. And we're like really good friends. So every, you know, Every time that we can in the morning before work, we go out fishing for a couple hours and there's such a grind in startup life, right? There's so many things to worry about and think about that. Sometimes it's nice to just sit out in your boat and cast a line and kind of joke around a little bit. And so this morning I went fishing with my neighbor and it's more of a release, just time to do something that I want to do because you really never shut off entrepreneurship and startup life. That's what I did this morning that put me in a good mindset and prepared me for the work day. Tomorrow Saturday. It's not a work day, but I'm heading out at 8 a.m. with a good buddy of mine that I played college hockey with. We're going to go out and try to catch some fish. And if we don't, we'll still have a good time because we'll just relax. And like you said, just drift off and think about other things for a little while, which is always good. There's no bad days on the water. Absolutely. No. And listen, you have the benefit of the winter time to take advantage of it too, which makes it even doubly fun. I'm very grateful for sure. Yeah, you should be. It's been a pleasure having you. And we're going to have all your information in the show notes. But if people want to find you, learn more about fan saves, about you, connect, what's the easiest and the best place for them to do that i may or may not have a slight addiction to linkedin so if you hit me up on linkedin there's a really (laughs) high percentage chance that we're going to connect and so that's the best place to to connect with me but definitely follow all the socials you can follow fan saves across all of our socials or visit our website at fansaves.com awesome chris it's been a pleasure having you on the show i appreciate you and make it a great day appreciate it thanks so much for having me I want to thank Chris McCarthy for being a guest on the Midland Money Mindset. Chris has taken his passion for hockey and the experiences he had in management and is solving a problem that he saw in the sporting world. Connecting sponsorship dollars to fan engagement is of utmost importance to both teams and sponsors alike. Fan Saves is solving this problem and Chris gets to stay connected to a community he is so passionate about hockey and sports. It doesn't get much better than that. Chris and Fan Saves can be found across most social media platforms and all the contact information needed to find them can be found in the show notes. Thank you for joining us this week on the Midland Money Mindset. Make sure you visit our website at midlandmoneymindset.com and smash the subscribe button so you don't miss a show. We encourage you to help others find our valuable content and please don't keep us a secret. You can also schedule an Is There a Fit call right from our website or by using the link that you'll find in the description section of your podcast player or app. And be sure to join us for our next episode to learn more about getting your mind right when it comes to all things money.
The opinions voiced in the Midland Money Mindset Show with Lawrence Sprung are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. All indices are unmanaged and may not be invested into directly. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. No strategy ensures success or protects against loss. To determine what may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, financial or tax advisor prior to investing. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC, an SEC registered investment advisor. Guests on the Midland Money Mindset Show are not affiliated with CWM LLC.